Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Ebajemra, and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before, and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer, we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're going to find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you want to know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. So we are in Joshua chapter five and six. We are in episode nine of a series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. We're in Joshua chapter five and six, and I've titled this session when I'm facing the impossible. I did not change the title, but initially my focus as I drafted the outlines a few weeks ago was to go into chapter six, Jericho, the famous battle. We hit on it the last session. But as I started to look at the text, as God often does, you get into his word, really I saw something critical in chapter five that I don't think we can pass over. So sandwiched between Joshua four and Joshua six is a chapter that is easy to gloss over. So it's easy for you to sort of read chapter four and, and, and really three where Joshua and the army of Israel are crossing a river, the Jordan, and it is a big bad river. And the priests and the people of Israel see this magnificent miracle where they step into the water and the water sparks, sort of like back in the days of the Red Sea. Uh, remember back when they got out of Egypt. But this is another miracle that happened. It's astounding. And, and at the tail of that victory, many of us who are living in life and we go through victories and we're coming on a high, our tendency to be like, we're on a high. Let's just jump into the next battle. Let's just jump into the next victory. But before we get into Jericho, which is God had promised the people of Israel the land. So there's a promise made to the people of Israel that they would take over the land. And so this Jericho is sort of a sure thing. Uh, not a sure thing in the sense that the people of Israel were given promises in the past that were a sure thing, but because of their lack of faith, they did not capitalize on it. But they've learned after 40 years in the wilderness that God is a God who can be trusted. So now they're looking at Jericho. They're coming off a miracle from the, Jor from the Jordan, but sandwiched in the middle is Joshua chapter 5. And it's easy as you're reading through your Bible through a year to overlook that chapter and be like, okay, I don't know why the pause. And it's a kind of a crazy pause. But before you can get to chapter six, you've got to stop at chapter five. And so I've called this lesson indeed when I'm facing the impossible, but I want to focus on where we're going, which is fresh victories. What is happening in chapter six is the, the Jericho is a city that was built on a hill and it had a big fortress around it. And that wall is about to crumble, not by the strength of the people of Israel, not by their weapons, but by the strength of God, by the promise of God, by the miraculous 
impossible that only God can do in the face of the impossible. And so here, the people of Israel are about to see a fresh victory. But before we can get into fresh victories in situations in our lives that are impossible, there are three things that I want us to focus in on that are requirements. And that is brought out in chapter five. You'll notice that God is never in a hurry. We want to go from chapter four of Joshua, of passing through the Jordan, to chapter six of seeing the walls of Jericho come down. We want to skip chapter five, but chapter five is critical. You say, what do we learn in chapter five? Well, let me read you a little bit of it first. And it might be sobering for some of you guys out there particularly, but let me go ahead and read it. So, so coming off the, the Jordan miracle, uh, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So point was made. The people of Israel had a God who could win battles and everybody in the area heard it. This is good for the people of Israel. You say, what did God do at that moment? Well, at that time in chapter five, verse two of the book of Joshua, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua, I'll explain that in a minute. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gilbeath, Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. You ever read the scriptures? And you're like, wait, why is this happening? Well, God's like, I'm going to explain it to you. All the males of the people of Israel who came, of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Remember a couple of lessons ago, we were in Numbers chapter uh, 14, 13, 14, and that entire generation was going to die before they were able to see the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. And so, so here the Bible is reminding us of that. Though all the people, verse 5, though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So an entire generation was born. And so now they're looking at this entire new generation who has not been circumcised yet because they've been 40 years in the wilderness. For whatever reason, they had not gotten circumcised. You say, what reason? Well, here God gets, sheds a little light. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Now verse 6, for the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So there's an issue of obedience there. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. All right. This is a lot going on. So basically they leave Egypt. The men, the 12 spies are sent in to spy the land. 10 of them fail. They influence the entire people of Israel, except for Joshua and Caleb. A curse happens. God plagues them. And everybody of that 12 dies. And God makes a promise that the entire generation would not see the promised land, but the next generation would. So now we're 40 years later. The people of Israel are wiser. They have more faith than their fathers did. But there's a problem. In those 40 years, they were not circumcised. Again, we don't know the reason. The, the lack of obedience was because the parents had, had failed in their faith. And now here's this, this next generation. Had they not done it because they didn't know? Had they not done it because they didn't think it was 
was important. Maybe because there was no time. I don't know, but they hadn't done it. And now before they can get fresh victories, here's point number one, fresh victories demand fresh obedience. Circumcision, you say, where did that come from? Well, all the way back in Genesis chapter 16, God initially had given a promise to, Genesis, to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he called Abraham. That's the first encounter between God and Abraham is in Genesis 12. And back then, God promised Abraham that he would give him sons and he, the, the land. The promise was for the land and the son. And he made a covenant with Abraham that he repeated to Abraham in Genesis 16. So in Genesis 16, God re confirms his covenant with Abraham. He, he assures Abraham of this and he says, here's a sign that you believe me, circumcision. And so by faith, Romans 4 talks about that too, that by faith, Abraham circumcises all of the men in his household as a sign of faith in a God who had made a promise. Often circumcision and baptism, I, I don't wanna get too theological with you, but I've always been taught growing up that circumcision and baptism are sort of the Old Testament and the New Testament version of the same thing. And, and by the way, there's a lot of uh, argument against that. There are many uh, conf, uh, very um, uh, reformed theologians that would say, no, that's not quite true, that, that that's not a perfect analogy, but you can certainly see some symbolism in it where, where circumcision was a sign of faith as baptism is a sign of faith. It doesn't, didn't save the people of Israel, but it was a sign that they believed the covenant that God had given. And it was instituted by God and it was done by faith. And here in chapter five, we see the element of faith because here they are, this people of Israel, millions of them, uh, many of the men now, men of war who knew the history of their forefathers back, um, the sons of uh, Jacob. Remember, Jacob had 12 kids. There's a, there's a story, I think in Genesis 30 something, 38, I think, of Dinah, one of the daughters of Jacob. Uh, she herself, had had a, a sexual interlude with a man and, and, and it was a horrible thing in that day and age, but that man was honorable, wanted to marry her and, 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 and the brothers tricked him and said, you and your family need to be circumcised. And, and so they, they agree, they get circumcised. And while they're down and out, because you can imagine that the first 48 hours after a circumcision were not gonna be very comfortable. And so in that window, after they're circumcised, the sons of Jacob come in and they kill everyone of that family because they were avenging their daughter the sister who had been uh, raped basically by that man. And so, so the people of Israel are aware of that story more than likely. And yet here they are sandwiched between Genesis, uh, Joshua chapter four and Joshua chapter six is this Joshua chapter five, where God says, okay, before you proceed to the next victory, I know you've come in on a victory. I know you've got another victory coming and the entire people around you know that your God wins battles for you, but I'm gonna take you out for what, 10 days? Two weeks, I mean, time enough for the circumcision to heal and every man who had not been circumcised in that generation takes a flint knife and bam, 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 sorry, Caleb and others. But the point of it is the people of Israel obey. Fresh victories demand fresh obedience. And this circumcision was a consecration, a way of them saying, okay, God, we trust you. Obedience is always about trust. Obedience, is never about earning God's favor, but living out of God's favor. It is a way of saying, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but your word says it. I'm going to do it out of obedience and I'm going to obey you out of trust for who you are. After 40 years in the wilderness, after the walking through the Jordan, that generation now believes this God, that this is the God who earned them, who got them that victory in the Jordan. And he was going to be he, the God who would get them into Jericho. And he indeed did. We'll see that shortly. 
And so there's a time of spiritual preparation happening in Joshua chapter 5, a time of stopping looking at, you know, results and action, a time to stop and consider, where am I with God? Some of you are living in that season right now. You long for victory. You have your areas in your life where you long for victory and you're, you're hungry for it and you remember past victories like the psalmist. You think back with fondness and, and, and more than fondness with passion over what God has done in your life in the past and you know you can taste what he can do in, you, in the future and you're stuck in Joshua chapter 5. And perhaps right now all God is asking of you is obedience. Got some thoughts on obedience. You cannot rely on yesterday's obedience for tomorrow's victories. We see that so clearly here. The, 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 the first generation, J Abraham's family, they had been circumcised and, and Jacob's families, they had been circumcised, but over the course of the year, that obedience had dwindled. And somehow in those 40 years in the wilderness, that, that element of faith had sort of fallen off the wagon and how many areas in our life, maybe 50, 60 years ago, were part of integral part of the Christian faith and now we just think we're too sophisticated for it, we're too thought out, we're too, I don't know, what, I'm, can't, I'm not even gonna pick on an area, but there's things in our Christian life that we just think it's not a big deal anymore, really. What if baptism is that thing to you? What if God is asking you to be baptized by faith as a symbol, as a, as a testament of your faith in him? Not to earn you salvation, but what if that is the thing that God has pressed on your heart at one point and used to be important? We used to, to have that part in the church. I know what you're thinking. We're not even going to church. How can we have baptisms right now? And yet we've seen stories of cameras up in Minneapolis where George Floyd's death happened, where there's churches going up there and people are coming to know Jesus and they're being baptized right there on the street. And so maybe that's as simple as that for you. You see, yesterday's obedience doesn't carry for tomorrow's victories and your parents' obedience doesn't carry for your new victories. And so you cannot rely on other people's obedience for your own victories. We have this tendency to want to live by osmosis in the, in the church. We think if our pastor obeys God, then that's good enough for us. We think if our parents obey God, that's good enough for us. That's been a long, many of you already are aware of that. You can be born in a Christian home that does not make you a Christian. You can be born in a family of faith. That doesn't mean you're automatically a person of faith. Being a Christian is not a stamp on your passport. It is a condition of your heart. So what is it that God is asking you to obey in today that might be what is necessary before you see fresh victories tomorrow. Oh, you know God has given you victories in the past and now fresh victories demands fresh obedience. You cannot rely on yesterday's obedience for tomorrow's victories. You cannot rely on other people's obedience for your own victories and you cannot rely on obedience to be easy but on God's promises to be true. How easy was it to get a flint knife to line up these men. As the enemy surrounded them, they're at the, in the shadow of Jericho. The wall can cast a shadow over them. How easy was it to say to them, here's what God wants us to do, boys. It's never easy to follow through on what God wants us to do. And yet obedience is believing God even when his word sounds risky. Obedience is believing God even when his word sounds risky. But how do you do that? Well, it's, it's, it's because it's based on the promises of God. We don't make up things. Well, God wants me to, no, you just find, stand on his promises. If, if, if he's asked you to do it and his word is clear about it, then walk through it. 
Many men and women in, in, in the mission fields have exemplified that. I, many people now in the, in the more younger generations have never heard of people like Jim Elliott, or uh, there are many others, Amy Carmichael, and, and on and on. But the, uh, the, uh, Hudson Taylor is a great example. Some amazing missionaries in the last 100 years, just living in the last 50 to 100 years, who lived that kind of risky obedience of saying, God, I don't know much, but I know that you've called me to this life. And so they've stepped out in faith sometimes at the risk of their own life, like Jim Elliott, who died at the hand of the Indian um, uh, people that he was serving in the Amazon jungle. And, and, and as a result, later on, the entire uh, tribe there would come to know Jesus through the faithfulness of other believers who picked up the work and through the faithfulness of God, who never wastes any of our pain and always honors our obedience to his word. And so obedience is believing God even when his word is risky. So fresh victories demand fresh obedience. Here's a second big idea as we move into the next verses of chapter five. Fresh victories expect new blessings. Say, so where do I find this? Well, moving on in the reading. So there's this spiritual consecration. Now we go into the celebration. Verse 10 of chapter five. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. So, so imagine, just, just to put you in the mood. I mean, the, the, the whole point of, of this Joshua chapter one through six is that God has sent to them, you gotta go and take the land that I've given you. And they know their, their plan, their mindset is victory, taking over the promised land. And in the middle of this week, we see a lot. Last week, we talked about Rahab. So they have that little chapter with Rahab. Then we've got the Jordan. And so they're in like fight mode, right? And so they're in the middle of fight mode and God puts the brakes. And now he does the circumcision, uh, ask, you know, where you've got to exemplify obedience by going through that. And now uh, God says to them, okay, and before you go on, you're going to do a little celebration. And so now in the middle of the wilderness, a celebration of the Passover happens. And in the 40 years, by the way, three times the people of Israel up to now celebrated the Passover. Once was uh, right when they left Egypt that night in Exodus chapter 12. Uh, that was the first time that God told them how to practice the Passover. Second big time when they practiced the Passover was in Mount Sinai in Numbers chapter 9, uh, right before they broke camp. And then the third, then they do not practice Passover until now. And now God says, okay, it's time to practice the Passover. By the way, um, the reason that they had not practiced the Passover in that time was because God had told them that they wouldn't do it until they were about to enter the land. And so here, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day, verse 11, and the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna seized the day after they ate of the produce of the land. Okay, I underlined verse 12. And the manna seized the day after they ate the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So, so by the way, uh, the verse that you can reference later is Exodus 12, 25. That's where God says to them that here's, we're going to do the Passover and then you're not going to celebrate it again until you go into the land. Uh, and so here we see this promise now of celebrating the Passover. The Passover was a commemoration of all God had done in Egypt. It was a symbol of what was to come in Christ, the blood of the perfect spotless lamb of God on the doorpost that was their saving. That is how redemption was symbolized through the death of the lamb that was prophetic of Jesus who was to come in the New Testament and die for our sake. So a lot happening here. So they're about to go into the promised land and they're celebrating the Passover over and that night they no longer eat manna. See, what was manna? Manna was yesterday's blessings. 
Manna was what they ate yesterday. For 40 years in the wilderness, God gave them everything they needed day after day after day. Every morning they would wake up and the manna would be there, except on Sundays, the day of rest. On Saturday, they would get a double portion. On Sunday, they had no bread, but they ate what was left from Saturday. And they followed that rule to the T. Every day they saw God provide. Some of you need that reminder right now. You're living in a season of wilderness and you need to be reminded that we serve a God who honors his people, a God who provides manna to us, not, not a lot of food, but enough food. Not more than we need, but enough, as much as we need. And, uh, and then there comes a day when the wilderness season ends and manna is no longer needed. And now fresh blessings, fresh victories expect new blessings. And so yesterday's manna won't do for tomorrow's needs. See, some of us, we have this boxed picture of God and what we saw him do yesterday, we want him to do tomorrow. We think that's the only way God can bless us. Well, we have no imagination. When it comes to Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, that's the verse that says that God can do above and beyond what we can ask or think. He wants to bless us abundantly, but all we know is what he's done so far. And in this verse, we are come to understand that sometimes God gives manna and other times God moves us into the promised land where we eat of the fruit of the land. So yesterday's manna won't do for tomorrow's needs. Look for God in fresh ways. Some of you need to be freed from the strain of saying, God, why aren't you showing up the way you did before? Well, because God has better ways that he's got planned for you. We just don't know them yet because we haven't lived them. Fresh victories expect new blessings. And by faith, they ate of the fruit of the land, believing God to provide. Yesterday's provider is able enough to provide for tomorrow's needs. The same God who gave manna for 40 years in the wilderness is the God who was giving them uh, this ability to enter into the promised land, who would in a moment break down the walls of Jericho. The same God who provided yesterday is that the constant is not the, the promise. The constant is the promise maker. God is the constant. The blessing that came yesterday is the variable. The constant is God. The God who gave us the promise yesterday is the God who's going to fulfill the promise tomorrow. The constant is God. So that our feelings change, our circumstances change, our moods change, the weather changes, but God never changes. The, the, the politics change, the, the, the Supreme Court changes, uh, the rulings in this land, that God's grace are changing in areas that need to be changed, and, and on and on and on. But God is constant. Some things are changing for better, some are worse. Many of you are hopeful in the next election that what you want will come to pass. And half the country will be happy and half the country will be sad. And there'll be fights about it. Those are all variables. What is constant is the same God who created this universe, who spoke his word into existence, who is redeeming this world, who cares less about politics and more about hearts and eternity and transformation and redemption and Jesus. That's who's constant. Tweets come and tweets go, but God's word abides forever. Yesterday's provider is able enough to provide for tomorrow's needs. New blessings depend on the one who gives the blessings, not on old methods. New wine, fresh wine. We don't longer need the old skins. We've got new wine. And so some of us need to understand that, lean into that, ask God to reveal himself in that. Yesterday's trust is replaced with new, fresh trust in the God who is always present. Again, God is the constant. Our trust is fresh. So experiencing God's blessings is indeed about trust. Do you believe God? Do you believe that the same God who parted the Jordan is the God who's going to bring down the Jericho? In this moment, the practice of the Passover, 
by the way, comparison to Passover, the, the practice of the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread, the drinking of the wine, that is the New Testament symbol, of, or the Old Testament symbolic of the New Testament breaking of the bread. And so, again, there's so much in Scripture. You say, well, the Old Testament is different than the New. No, it builds. The New Testament builds on the Old Testament. Everything is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so now we practice the Lord's Supper to remember all God has done for us in the past and all he still has to for us in the future. Our life has not ended in Christ right now. It's just beginning. So we're living his kingdom now, but we have more to come. And so here they are. They're waiting on this side of the Canaan. They're eating of the fruit of the land, but there's more to come. Such a picture of the Christian life. Daily, we're eating of Christ. We're living the Christian life. We're celebrating the things of Christ, but yet there's still more to come where we will have even more of him in the times to come. So fresh blessings, oh, fresh victories demand fresh obedience. Fresh victories expect new blessings. And then fresh victories depend on fresh vision. Before we move into chapter six, and, and I'm gonna gloss over the actual Jericho story. I talked a little bit about it last week and, and you guys can read it on, on your own. But before we do, let me read you a few more verses here in chapter five um, that are just one little, so we've got the consecration with the circumcision, we've got the celebration with Passover, and now we've got this uh, uh, point of submission that happens. When Joshua was by Jericho in verse 13, he lifted up his eyes and looked, Behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, uh, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth. And I'm sorry. And he said, No, I'm not. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so in this encounter, now there's been a spiritual time of preparation, a consecration, which opens up the uh, ability for the presence of God to come. So, so, so tangibly here, it is thought to be a theophany where God, Jesus, comes here. In, in, a, in, a, in a meeting with Joshua. And Joshua's response is not to tell Jesus uh, or the commander of the army. Again, this is a picture of Jesus. This is not a picture of Jesus. This is actually a theophany where God shows up to Joshua in this place. But, but in this encounter, Joshua's response is not to present to God his military strategy. Uh, Joshua's response is not to ask God to bless the upcoming battle. There's only one response when we come face to face with God Almighty, and it is whatever Every man has done in scripture when they have come face to face with God and it is to get on their knees. Uh, Moses, we saw it at the burning bush. Uh, we, see it, um, we see it over and over again in scripture. Isaiah does it in, in the beginning of the book of Isaiah. But we see there's only one, uh, ink, one posture when we come face to face with God and it is this posture of submission. And, and indeed, before they can get into Jericho, there's a submission. Joshua, the leader of the army, submits. He kneels. And he waits and God says, okay, now you get up. Now you get into the Jericho. And now they go to Jericho and the chapter six charts. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings and mighty men of valor. And God in his kindness, again, restates the promise. This land is yours, Joshua. Joshua, this isn't your idea. This isn't the military uh, strategy. This is a divine strategy. And God is using the people of Israel to show us all of these spiritual principles. By the way, we spent 30 minutes here on Thursdays, but you can take 
a week, to a month, a year to study all of the implications of how this is played out in the New Testament. And so God tells them exactly how to do this battle. He says, you're going to go around this wall seven times. They are going to look utterly ridiculous, uh, but it's fresh vision, vision that Joshua would never have on his own. You say, what is vision? Um, godly vision is, uh, is future focused and the ability to show others a picture of a better future. A lot of times we think about this idea of fresh victories depend on fresh vision. Imagine Joshua gathering his leaders in the army and saying, boys, I've got a word from the Lord and here's how we're going to win this battle. Well, the only way to convince them is with fresh vision. Vision paints a picture that is not drafted by yourself. Godly vision is based on who God is, based on what God has done in the past and based on God's promises and always based on a word from the Lord. I would even say a fresh word from the Lord. Fresh vision is not possible without a fresh word from the Lord. Joshua could not win the battle of Jericho without a fresh word from the Lord. And so that fresh word entailed, not that they would go with bows and spears, but that they would walk and shout a song of praise that would bring down the walls. And so in order for him to convince the leaders of doing this, he had to paint a fresh vision. And so that fresh vision is godly vision, is future focused and the ability to show others a picture of a better future and rests on God's word and focuses on God's glory. You have a pastor who gives you vision of what's to come. If it doesn't glorify the Son of God, then be careful. If you've got a leader who gives you a vision that isn't based on God's word, then you be careful. You listen to what people are saying and, and, and cross-reference it with the word of God. Does it glorify God? Does it rest on the word of God? Don't be afraid of it if it's fresh. God is always into giving us fresh vision. Without vision, the people perish. Vision hinges on God's promises. Some other verses on vision, Habakkuk chapter 2. Uh, the, in fact, that's one of my favorite verses in, in the uh, um, book that I wrote. Stripped sort of hinges on that passage of scripture. And it talks about uh, uh, God giving the prophet vision. If I can only find the book of Habakkuk, that would be a blessing tonight. Uh, but somewhere here in the Minor Prophets. Here we are, eventually you'll find it. He says, write the vision. The Lord says to Habakkuk in chapter two of Habakkuk, in fact, starting with verse one, he says to the prophet, um, there's this encounter happening between God and, and the prophet. And the prophet writes, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint, the context. And I, and I think it's worth a couple of minutes here because we're talking about vision. And some of you may be going, well, I want fresh vision from God. Well, so do I. He said, what do you, need to get fresh vision from God. Well, you need an encounter with the Lord and, and based on his word. And so take the word of God, spend some time alone and, and start thinking and asking God. That's what the prophet Habakkuk did. He stood on the watch post. He looked for it. He asked for it. He leaned into it. And so in that, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So who gave Habakkuk vision? Who gave Joshua vision? Well, it was God. So you want vision, you stand on the watch post and look for it and wait. And, and for Joshua, it came after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and waiting on God and learning to have communion with God and then living through Joshua 5 and now in Joshua 6, this fresh vision of a battle such as he'd never fought before. And he was able to convince the entire people of Israel to walk, by the way, two weeks after a circumcision, to walk seven rounds around the Jericho and uh, 
You say, how long did it take for this vision to take place? Well, as long as God wanted, seven times around the Jericho. So fresh vision is not possible without a fresh word from God. Fresh vision is unfulfilled until its time has come. That's what Habakkuk 2 says. If it delays, wait for it, wait for it. Don't rush ahead of it. If God has spoken, he will do it in his time. His time is different than ours. We want to rush him, but trust means waiting on God. You say, what do I do in the meantime? Well, obey God, celebrate God, submit to God. Those are the things that happened in chapter five. Fresh vision is unachieved without faith. It took an immense amount of faith for the people of Israel to walk around the Jericho. And the seventh day, they walk not once, but seven times. And then they sing a shout of praise. So fresh vision, not just unachieved without faith, but fresh vision welcomes fresh solutions through praise. This is a hard one. It's easy to talk about it in a Bible study, but it's not easy to do in real life. Because usually when you need fresh vision is when you're facing the impossible. And when you're facing the impossible, if you're like me, you're not comfortable. It's a scary time. It's a time where your faith is being stretched. It's a time where it's easier to be discontent, to mumble, to complain. It's a time where it's easier to compare yourself to others. It is a time where it's easier to do things your own way and to numb your pain rather than submit to God and his ways. And yet praise is the language of the believing. I've said prayer is the language of the believing. I guess prayer and praise go hand in hand. Many of us don't know how to pray. We'll start by praising God. You praise God for who he is. You praise God for his works. You praise God for what he has done and what is yet to come. How's your praise language these days? If I'm being honest with you, mine needs a little work. It's gotten rusty. Some of us need to focus this week on girding up the loins of our praise and shouting out, out to God. I don't mean when I say praise, just... I mean, one version of it is worship songs, turn on your headphones and sing your brains out, but I mean a posture of the heart that declares that God is good no matter what I'm going through. Praise is a posture of a heart that says, God, I trust you, even if it doesn't make sense right now. Praise is a posture of a heart that submits to God and bends the knee, even though the outcome is iffy at best. Praise is standing unshaken, even when it's scary as heck. That's what we're going after in this series. We want to be unshaken when we're facing the impossible, not because we've got great strategies or tremendous strength, but because we've got a God, we've got a God who has proven himself to us in the past, who is with us in our present, and who has made us ample promises about all that's to come for us in the future. So fresh victories demand fresh obedience. Fresh victories expect new blessings. And fresh victories depend on fresh vision. You've been writing notes. Which one of those sticks out to you the most? Which one of those has the Spirit of God pointed and says, here's, here's, here's where you need to be this week. You're living in Joshua 5, but Joshua 6 is coming. Will you be ready for it? I want us all to see the fresh solutions, those victories over the impossible in our life. And it will not depend on us. It will depend on God who's looking to see if we are people after his heart who will bend the knee and consecrate ourselves afresh. In what ways might God want you to consecrate yourself afresh this week?